Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit I might proclaim your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully. And I pray, Lord God, that you might form yourself in us so that we would become blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of this generation so that we might shine among them as lights in the world. We pray that you'd fashion that in us. We pray that you'd work that in us all to your glory and praise. And we give you honor and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I have a a few of the excuses. These are actual excuses that children have used not to turn in their homework because they didn't have their homework. Uh, And so uh, here, in no particular order, is a number of excuses. Uh, Number one, I couldn't do my homework because my room is haunted. That's pretty good. I mean, I've seen some of the rooms of children. It's pretty scary. Uh, That's all I can say. Uh, I didn't have time because we had a new dishwasher installed. I can see that. You know, children are often called upon to help do the plumbing. Uh, This one is one of my personal favorites. My gator weed on it. So uh, so those who have pet pet alligators, you know, watch out. You've got a built-in excuse there. My dad forgot to do it for me. (laughs) Or how about this one? A wolf came into my house and took my backpack with my homework. Or it slipped out of my hands and blew away. That's also why I came to school late. I was chasing it. Now that one sounds like Joshua, actually. I, I can see Joshua saying that. You can tell him that, you know, when he's, you know, because we're talking behind his back. Uh, I did my homework, but when the Martians came, they sucked all the ink off my paper. Uh, You've got to watch for those aliens. Um, they were probably illegal aliens. Uh, okay, here's another one. I came down with a terrible case of having trouble holding on to a pencil. I, I have that frequently. Uh, or a tornado sucked my homework right out of my mom's car. Uh, my teeth itch. Scratchy teeth that... Uh, I do it. A kangaroo ate it. That's really good for the guy in Norway. Uh, my mom did it. My my mom did it wrong, 
So I threw it out of the bus window. Uh, I left my homework in the back of a pickup truck, which went through a car wash. Or, you know, here's the last one. I made a cake for my cell structure project, but my parents ate it. You know, so there's a, any number of reasons why you don't do your homework. Uh, and it, it's really amazing because it's not just kids. I mean, all of us as adults have this way of coming up with excuses to explain away things that we probably should do that we don't do. I know over the years as a, as a pastor, I've heard many, many different excuses uh, for not coming to church, for not praying, for not reading the Bible, for not getting along with other people. Uh, I've seen that in the workplace, you know, many, many kinds of excuses. And the thing about excuses is, with the, the occasional rare exception, like uh, Martians suck the ink off the paper, everybody's excuse is legitimate for them. Or at least it sounds legitimate. And we tend to make excuses, and and our excuses seem legitimate, to us at least. And the other challenge is that we can never really judge somebody else's excuses. Because sometimes an excuse is legitimate. And it's not really my place to discern whether or not somebody is really giving a good excuse. Now, sometimes I can wonder, and sometimes I can question, and sometimes when when it's things like a wolf came into my room and and stole my backpack with my homework in it, you can start to say, come on, really? You know, do you really know what you're saying? Uh, But at the end of the day, it's very difficult because it is so easy for us to deceive ourselves. We all do it. Uh, Psychologists know it. We all do that. We all deceive ourselves. And it's so difficult for us to discern what other people are saying. And that's part of the reason why Paul, in the early verses that, of this passage that we looked at last week, said this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that salvation has to be worked out in the context of the people of God, but it is our responsibility to work out our own salvation, knowing that we will ultimately give an account to God, and with God, He sees through all of our excuses and sees down into the truth. And so that is the challenge for us as Christians to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing we will give an account to God. But then God gives us the good news. Paul gives us the good news. For it is God who is working in us both to will and to work in according to his good pleasure. That means according to what will please God and also according to what God knows will bring the greatest amount of pleasure to us. Because God's desire is that not only would we please Him, but also we would experience the pleasure that He has planned for us. At your right hand, David said, there are pleasures forevermore. But we still have to take responsibility to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And how do we do that? In the remainder of the passage we looked at today, Paul gives us four things that we can begin to do, four things that will enable us or help us 
as we seek to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because when you're doing that, remember, we're all on a journey. We're on a journey together, but in many, many respects, our journeys will differ from time to time. Our experiences are different. God's plans for us are different. God's uh, way of dealing with us is different because each of us are different people. And God's such an amazing God that He tailors uh, a journey for us that is uniquely suited to our experiences, our gifts, our calling, uh, who He has created us to be. And so Paul tells us, as you are working out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, God is energizing us for this. God has given us his Holy Spirit for this. Paul says there's four things here, guys, you can do as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling to help you accomplish it. The first thing is do everything without grumbling. Do everything without grumbling. And this is particularly do everything in the context of the body of Christ without grumbling. Although you you can expand it to every area of life, but certainly do everything as you're living out your faith, do everything without grumbling. This word here, grumbling, in the Greek is the same word that's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to talk about how the Israelites grumbled against Moses when they were in the wilderness. The Israelites in the wilderness, they were murmuring, they were complaining, they were grumbling, and they grumbled against Moses, and they grumbled against God, and they were doing both of that. And because they were grumbling, and they didn't realize when they were grumbling against Moses, they were also grumbling against God, Because of their grumbling, many of them, the text says, died in the wilderness. Because of their complaining, because of their murmuring against God, many of them died in the wilderness. And I've seen this many times. I've seen Christians who complain and complain and complain and they murmur uh, and they're always talking behind other people's back and they're, they're talking about behind leadership's back. And by the way, I, I never worry too much about people grumbling behind my back. Uh, please never feel like you have to defend me because God's my defender. Uh, and so I, I don't get really bothered by that. I don't, I don't take offense uh, and so you can't offend me on all of that. And if you ever hear me say, oh, you know, the people grumbled against Moses and they died and so don't grumble against me because I'm like Moses, then uh, just, you know, give me a gentle smack in the face because it means I've got on my high horse somewhere. But uh, anyway, uh, with that, that in mind, it's important to understand I have seen many, many Christians who spend a lot of time grumbling, complaining, murmuring against leadership and they never walk into their promised land. Because God will never lead you fully into the promised land he has for you, the place of pleasure he has for you, while you're grumbling, murmuring, and complaining. He won't do it. And that's why Paul says here very clearly, and he intentionally uses the Greek word so that in the minds of the Philippians, at least the Jewish uh, Philippians, they would have known immediately that he's talking about what was happening in the Old Testament. And don't murmur, don't grumble, don't complain, particularly behind other people's back. Do everything, get on with it, do the stuff you have to do 
And don't grumble, don't complain, don't murmur about it. That's the first thing Paul tells us. And then the second thing Paul says, if we want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, do everything without disputing. Do everything without disputing. Now there's two kinds of contexts here that would come into the minds of the Philippians about this word that's translated as disputing. On the first hand, it's about the petty bickering and arguing that sometimes people get into. And I, I've seen people, and I've seen people do this in church meetings, uh, here and, and just about everywhere I've been. I've seen people do this with one another. I've seen people on ministry teams do this. And they just start to argue, and they start to bicker, and they start to get at one another. And, and they, 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 they sometimes will argue over the silliest things. Oh, you didn't bring enough food, or you brought too much food, or uh, you offended me when you said this. And, you know, and that's especially true in our kind of context, because we come from so many different uh, backgrounds, social, cultural, economic, and the like. Uh, We have so many backgrounds, it's so easy for us to get our backs up at something that somebody says, when many times they don't even realize what they said, or that how they said it. Might, might have, you know, caused us to think something. And, and so we just argue and complain. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't be disputing. Now, from time to time, there are key issues that we need to wrestle through. And there's some issues of doctrine that sometimes we need to wrestle through. There are some issues about what God's calling us to do uh, corporately that sometimes we need to wrestle through. But even as we wrestle through these things, we shouldn't be dis- disputing with one another, arguing with one another, but seeking to hear, to listen, to understand, and to work through things together. And then the other nuance about this is really where I let off, and this is disputatious reasoning. In other words... This is where you give a good excuse for not doing what God has told you to do. And we all do this. We all do this. We, we come up with reasons to not do what God has told us to do. Now you see this all over. You see this in, in, in the Scripture. You see the Pharisees. And Jesus criticized the Pharisees because, you know, they, they would say, well, this part of my money is devoted to God and so I'm not going to support my parents. When honor your father and mother was the command. And so the Pharisees were using that as an excuse not to do what God had told them to do. Or think about the guy that threw the banquet, and he started inviting people to the banquet. And people said, one guy said, well, I just bought a field, and I need to go check it out. That sounds like a reasonable excuse. Another guy says, oh, wait, wait, i I, I got to go to work. Uh, I've got some business to conduct. I mean, who could argue with that? Another one said, oh, you know, well, I just got married, you know, and as you know, family is important to me. Who can argue with that? And in the end, all of them missed the banquet that God had thrown for them because they came up with an excuse that sounded good, but that at the end of the day was not a good excuse. And it kept them out of the will of God. And I've seen this so many times in the body of Christ. I remember many, many, many years ago, I knew somebody that uh, really felt called to spend time in prayer and worship 
uh, and really wanted to dedicate themselves to, to prayer and worship, and they'd like to do that full time. The problem is they didn't have the resources to do that. And instead of going out and getting a job like most people have to do, they rather wanted other people to support them and to support their, their prayer habit. The problem with this is, now that sounds really great, doesn't it? It sounds like, wow, you know, prayer. We can't argue with prayer. We don't argue with prayer. But actually, the Bible says, the one who does not work shall not eat. And so the Scripture is very clear about our responsibility, when possible, to do our work. Now that work, you know, sometimes it's, it's paid employment. Sometimes it's, it's in some other kind of way. But we are called to do that. We're called to engage what the Scripture says, and we cannot use an excuse. Now, this is not, this is not to criticize people who, who don't have a job, who are not able to get a job. For this person, they were able to work. They could have worked, but they chose not to work and instead rely on other people. It sounds like a good excuse. It sounds really good, but they missed it. They missed it. And we as Christians are really good at coming up with things that sound good, that sound like good excuses not to do what God's told us to do, and we end up missing it. We don't get into the promised land. We don't get what God has planned for us. And so Paul says, as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, do everything without disputing and without talking yourself out of doing those things that you really need to do doing those things that God has really called you to do. And it's important here that Paul didn't take a legalistic approach to this. So he didn't give us a top ten list of things that we have to do, that everybody has to do. Because you are responsible before God in these things. You know, I'm not responsible for you, and I won't presume to judge what's going on in your heart. That's between you and God. And we should never presume to judge another person what's going on between them and God in their heart. They can ask us, and if you ever want to know, you can ask, you can explore it. But at the end of the day, you have to come up with that choice. And so Paul says here, if you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, do everything without grumbling and do everything without disputing. Do everything without grumbling do everything without disputing. Then he goes on and he talks about holding fast to the word of life. If we want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we must hold tightly to the gospel. We must understand that the Bible is God's word and the Bible points to the kingdom and the Bible points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to hold fast onto this because there are so many things that the world wants to tell us that we're not good enough, that we're not, you know, because we don't have money, because we don't have the right job, because we don't have the right circumstances, somehow we're deficient. There's so many things like this that the world wants to impart to us, and we must resist it and refuse it by holding fast to the word of life. Because this is the word that gives us life. The gospel that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. And even the faith is a gift of God. That is life to us. 
that God's grace is on us, that even when we mess up, even if we find ourselves grumbling or giving an excuse, that the grace of God is on our lives and we can repent and we can turn away from that and we can hold on to that because we need to hear the gospel, we need to hear the word of life. And as a Christian, we, you know, sometimes we think, okay, I, I've been saved by grace through faith, and that's great, that, that's fabulous, and so that was in the past, now I just need to go on and live my life. But that's not true. Every day of our life, we are being saved by grace through faith. Every day of our life, we are living this out. Every day of our life, we have the word of life, and we need to hold on to the word of life and believe the word of life because it's here for us. We need to hold it fast because if we don't hold it fast, there's no way to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Ultimately, what we will end up with is some form of dead legalism. And sadly, I have to say, over the last six months, a year, I have seen an increase of people coming to me out of contexts that were filled with dead legalism. And where they were given rules to follow, that there was no grace, that there was no love. And we need to hold fast to the word of life because it's filled with grace and it's filled with love. And this is what God has for us. And then Paul goes on and he starts talking about something. Uh, he, he says, you know, I, I, I will know that I haven't run the race in vain and I haven't labored in vain if you're holding on, being faithful, and, and I'm happy that, that uh, uh, I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice of your service to the Lord. And what Paul is talking about is how they minister together, uh, how Paul has, has invested himself in them. He's excited to see what's going to happen with them. Uh, he's excited to see what's going to happen in their lives. He's happy to give them himself to them and give himself for them so that they can flourish in ministry, so they can flourish in their knowledge of God. Uh, and, and so he's celebrating all of this. And he ends this passage here with, Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Be glad and rejoice with me. And this is the fourth encouragement that Paul gives us if we're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's literally rejoice and rejoice with me. Rejoice and rejoice with me. Rejoicing, remember joy is not based on our circumstances. Joy is a matter of knowing who we are in Jesus Christ. Joy is a matter. When you really understand that you're a son or a daughter of God and that nothing can change that because God has adopted you into his family and he doesn't send you back as a reject. When you embrace that, there's joy that comes from that. When you understand that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross for you and he forgave all your sins and then rose from the dead to give you life. And that through following, fully surrendering to Jesus and following him, he will lead you in the path of life. There's joy in that. Knowing that your life is in the hands of God and that no matter what happens, God has you and God will take you to what he's planned for you. There's joy in that. Joy is not about focusing on our circumstances but choosing to focus on that 
which is good. Choosing what we focus on and choosing to focus on the things that are beautiful, that are good, that are wonderful. And if we do that, we will have joy. And this is what it means to rejoice. And joy, rejoicing is a command. It's not something that just happens. Now, being happy. If I come and I said to someone, be happy. You really can't do that because happiness, unlike joy, tends to be focused on our circumstances. But Paul tells us, the scripture says, rejoice because we can choose to focus on these things that bring joy. We can choose to rejoice. And so Paul says, rejoice. And then Paul goes on to say another thing, rejoice and rejoice with. So rejoicing is our responsibility, but we are also called to rejoice with other people. One of the reasons we come together and worship the Lord is so that we can rejoice with one another, so we can celebrate our common heritage in the faith, in the family of God. That's God's purpose for us, to rejoice with one another as we rejoice in God together. And so this is the command. If we want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we must rejoice and rejoice with one another. And as we rejoice and rejoice with one another, as we hold fast to the word of life, as we do everything without disputing and do everything without grumbling, then we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling so that we achieve the goal that God has for us. And the goal is here in this passage. Look what Paul says here. That, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is why we're working out our salvation. It's not just so we can feel good about ourselves. It's not just so we can have a promised land. It's not just so we can come together and and be God's people and have nice worship experiences. God's desire in us working out our salvation with fear and trembling, without grumbling, without disputing, holding fast to the word of life, and choosing to rejoice and rejoice with one another is so that we would be blameless and innocent. Blameless means that we're not doing anything wrong to each other. And innocent means that we're having a pure heart. So these these words are about how we relate to one another. We relate to one another in a way that is blameless, our conduct is pure before God, and our hearts, innocent, are pure before God. So that we are children of God. That's the right that we have to be called children of God. You are sons of God. We are sons of God. And God's desire is for us to be His children, to know that we are His children, to celebrate the fact that we are His children, blameless and innocent with one another, with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, and children of God without blemish, That means that we conduct ourselves in the world in a way that pleases and honors God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. 
We're to live this way, and we can live this way, even in the midst of the brokenness of the world, even with all the things that are going on around us in the world that seem hopeless and helpless, that seem hard and difficult. We can live as children of God without blemish in the midst of this generation as we work out our salvation, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This is God's goal for us. We can do it. We can achieve it so that ultimately we will shine like lights in the world. As we are working out our salvation, living as children of God without blemish in the midst of this generation, we will shine. And people will be drawn to Jesus in and through us This is God's goal for us. This is what we can achieve, each and every one of us, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling before God. He's given us everything we need because he has energized us. He is at work within us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Speak it deeply into our hearts, Lord God. Speak it deeply into our hearts. We commit ourselves to you. Father God, I pray that you'd show us if there is any way that we have been grumbling or disputing. Just reveal it to our hearts now, Father. Not to condemn us, but so we might repent. And Father, if there's any way that we have not been holding on to the word of life, maybe we've forgotten that we're saved by grace through faith. Maybe we've forgotten who we are. I pray that you'd show us, Lord, so that we might turn to you and take hold of that word of life. And Father, as we approach your table today, I pray that we might rejoice. As we look at this bread and this cup, I pray we'd see the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ broken and shed for us on the cross. And in seeing, know that we have life in Jesus who rose bodily from the dead. And let us rejoice. As we celebrate birthdays today, And have a meal around the table today. Let us rejoice in one another. In the magnificence of your creation of each of us. And our recreation in Christ Jesus. In your glory reflected on our faces. Let us rejoice. In the truth of your word and all that you want to do in and through us, let us rejoice. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you. I pray, Father God, that you would bless this bread and this cup. 
that they would be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. Use them to raise up joy in our hearts as we rejoice in you. We love you, we praise you, we worship and adore you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.